Welcome back to the Sober Bartender Podcast, the show where we recover from life. I'm your host, Brandy Kelly. So if you've been following the show, then you have an idea of the kind of guests that we have on here. Some people are recovering from drugs and alcohol. Some people are experiencing life after leaving a job they never thought they could leave, a relationship they never thought would end, processing trauma that they thought would always be a part of their life. And we're never done healing or growing. We never arrive at some magical endpoint, some magical healed space, in my opinion. You know, life continues to change and evolve, and it's kind of up to us to take the initiative to to roll with it. My biggest challenge right now is going with the flow, not controlling the flow and not going against the flow, but going with the flow. And, um, you know, I get a lot of opportunities to work on that and improve on that. I invite you to take a moment to kind of look at what your biggest challenge is right now and what you're doing to either fight against it or to learn to grow with it and see it as an opportunity for you to do something different. All right, everybody, I have another sober bartender and today... We have Kavai on the podcast. Welcome, Kavai. Hello. So Kavai and I used to work together when I was in uh, Washington, north of Seattle. Kavai was, you know, kind of my first friend and like my first soft space because when I moved there, many of you know, I relapsed and life was really, really crazy. And she handles crazy really well. <laughs> you know, That's a lot of crazy. <laughs> You know, a lot of people can't handle like, like chaos and drama. And she just, from my perspective, just kind of handled it really gracefully. And um, thank you. Now we have this beautiful friendship. And so, Kalai, let us know what you're up to now. Oh, um, so I quit drinking a month ago. It's actually January 14th. Today's Valentine's Day. So, a month ago, I am in Alabama right now taking care of my sister um, and just living life, you know, doing the wife and stepmom thing, bonus mom thing. And that's what I do. <laughs> and you do it oh so well. Yeah. Um, I don't know what, because I'm not a parent and like I interact with other people that are really involved in the parenting world and like the conscious parenting and when I hear the word conscious parenting it it makes me think of you but I don't know like do you know anything about that um I don't know I've read a lot about parenting because these aren't my biological children so I never had the the phase where you're like pregnant and then you read all the books and you kind of figure it out as you go along I was kind of like Boom, here's three kids, <laughs> which worked out for me because I have 17 nieces and nephews and the oldest one is 25 and about to have a kid. So I'm about to be a great aunt. Um, so I read a lot about what it is and the things and how to manage the emotions and the tantrums and keep them busy and 
physically active, mentally active, not too much screen time. I feel like my sister would call it conscious parenting because I'm constantly like you're conscious of how you're approaching situations and you're conscious Mm -hmm. of their needs and their growth and development yep i know i'm i feel like when it comes to them they've challenged me to grow and learn more in life and they've taught me the patience and selflessness that comes with being a parent and it's probably one of my favorite lessons of life I is being it. a bonus mom and doing yeah, all of the things. Like a lot of people get to be in the position that you're in, right? Like they marry into, mm-hmm. um, you know, a built in family, but I don't feel like a lot of people have the, you know, they don't take the initiative to really, you know, do it right or to do what you feel is right. I feel like that comes with um, just the way I was raised. You know, I came from a very uh, not normal family. You could say there was definitely drugs and alcohol and abuse and, you know, just the things you wouldn't expect in a typical family. There was homelessness and all of that. I went to 17 different schools five of them were high schools so i i strive to make sure that they're seen and they're heard and their emotions are felt and to look at them as people and not as children that you know are a nuisance of any kind which i've seen some parents do um i just want to to give them all the things that i wasn't afforded like paying attention to their emotions and how they're doing with their relationships and that they see all the versions of the world. Like we go to the farm so they know where their food comes from. One of these days, girl, I'm going to take them to meet a cow or a pig or chickens so that they know where their food comes from and it will be our cow and it will be butchered and it will be the sustenance that we take in. No, I'm just going to eat it again. (laughs) I I just have it like figured out what the appropriate age is for where they're at in their lives. Uh, Zoe already doesn't like to eat bacon, but she'll eat pulled pork from the smokehouse that her family owns. Okay. Um, But yeah, just like all the things I have this Pinterest account right pinterest woohoo you know the crazy google engine for all the extra pinterest abilities and they are outside of my realm of comprehension yeah i have one that's called minis and no joke there's probably close to a thousand pins on it there's a um, parenting positives, mini emotions. I have one for my little P because he's very explosive with his emotions right now. So we're working through that. And um, then like screen time, like, I don't know if most parents know this. I don't think most people care because it's kind of like an extra babysitter, almost like how we had the television when we were younger, except it's more accessible for kids. So they have their tablets or iPads. But if um, I think it's up to the age of eight, they shouldn't be on a screen for longer than an hour a day. The blue light from the screen, uh, it creates a dopamine response in children. And it's almost addictive for them, especially for kids with ADHD, because they're lacking dopamine. Uh, We're the things (laughs) I read. Uh, But that was like a big thing. So for them, they 
have to do their chores, make sure that the room's clean, and then they get 20 minutes and they set it on their uh, Alexa timer. And then we try not to exceed an hour a day, which generally, I mean, they have to be good to do it in the first place. So they're lucky if they get they're lucky if they get 20 minutes yeah and I, I mean they're they're developing i mean they're de- we're always developing but like their minds are developing in a different way until they're seven or eight right yeah and actually and i think it's five or six is uh they can't self-regulate like they until they're five or six they can't like stop the emotions that they're feeling on a dime and just be like this is how i'm feeling how should i react to this so on and so forth and a lot of adults don't know how to do it too right like unless you're in a home where they like sit you down and say i see that you're feeling this i see that you're having this problem what can i do to help you and like get on their level and look in their eyes and be like okay and not yell at them, right? Because your initial reaction would be like, why aren't you listening to me? Just sit down, shut up, or go in your room. <laughs> yeah. Which was my upbringing. Like, children should be seen and not heard. And if they are heard, then they should be doing the laundry or the dishes or vacuuming or some execution of what the parents essentially are too lazy to do their themselves. Um, yeah. Those are my babies, though. We're working through all the things and getting into a larger home right now. That's our six month goal since we've decided to kick the booze, right? Like it's always been a thing, but now it's coming to fruition, right? Like this is the budget. This is the plan. This is the amount that we can spend on da 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 so that we can have a house large enough for two adults, three children and a dog that the kids are dying to have. They've wanted a Not dog as long as I've known you. <laughs> Scott, I was holding a dog and we were on FaceTime and he thought I was at home and he was like, do you have a puppy? Oh my God, I'm dying. I'm like, no, get it out of your head. It's like, not no, happening. It really isn't happening while we live. Yeah, here. no, thousand square foot, three bedroom, two bathroom apartment does not suit five human beings and an animal. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You get a six month plan. We're going to move into a house with a yard and then we can discuss the animal. I love having it. a fruit. Mm. <clears throat> so with the, I love, I love like immediately the goal setting once you take drinking out of the equation. So yeah, I feel like I know for me, like when I was drinking, there were things that I wanted, but they were completely unattainable. Mm, absolutely. Um, uh, I knew this. So last year I quit drinking, um, in June, the day after my birthday. So I was like, I'm 37 and I'm still doing the obnoxious nonsense, getting freaking wasted, not eating enough, feeling like dog poop the next day. It's time. Right. So I was like, I'm quitting for a year. And I went for four months and it was fantastic. And then I finally, um, Right after our one year and wedding anniversary changed my name. So we decided to go out and celebrate and we we're like, let's just have a glass of wine. And of course that spirals from one glass of wine to taking shots at the bar on the way home and being fucked up. Cause in my mind, I told myself it's only one day. We're just celebrating. I'm going to get back on the wagon, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward. December happens. January <laughs> happens. All of the drinking, all of the 
nonsense. And it was uh, definitely a spiral back into the reason why I know I shouldn't drink. And other people aren't like this. I am. I am a binge drinker, right? I can stop. I don't have to drink every single day of the week. But when I do drink, it's not a little bit. It's one shot equals 10 shots. And then make sure I have a bottle sitting at home so I can have five more shots. Or if there's a bottle in my house, there's no way it's going to be there in the morning, whether it's a pint or a fifth or sometimes even a half gallon. It's going to be gone depending on my mood, you know, but that, of course, in turn, I've always known creates the roller coaster of emotions that comes with putting that much of a depressant in your body. It comes with the physical reactions that I have. So for me, when I'm really hungover, my muscles from my waist up are so sensitive to the touch that my bra strap hurts. When people hug me, it hurts. If you just put your hand on my back, it's painful. Um, so I have a serious physical reaction, which may or may not be an allergy. Who fucking knows? Because I've never heard of anybody else having that reaction. And then my skin is flushed and shitty and dried out. And I take less care of my personal self, less of the stuff that I personally need around my house. Um, gets done. So I need with three kids and two adults for there to be some semblance of clutter free environment. Like the dishes need to be done and put away. The toys need to be picked up from the living room and put away. Even the pillows, I like them to be lined up on the couch. My bed needs to be made in the morning. <laughs> Occasionally, you know, like I'll let a couple days go with kids' bedrooms looking like shit. <laughs> But yes. for the most part, it's not a thing, right? And when I'm hungover, those are a struggle, right? They're, like, it's not easy to get up and be like, God, I need to do this, this, and this. Not to mention, that's just daily life, right? For, for us, this is daily life. So the foreseeable future, such as looking for a house, is completely unattainable because managing the bills that happen to be sidetracked by the alcoholism and the amount of money. Oh yeah, I'm a bartender. My tab's only $20. Here's 60 bucks because that's how I tip when I'm <laughs> fucked up. And you got me to this place by giving me three shots that are six ounces a piece that I chug like water. I'm like, yeah, let's just throw $60 here, $80 here. Not to mention the day after eating. Oh, Bro. yeah. I must eat out and it's got to be the Asian foods and all the Asian foods, whether it's Korean barbecue or um, dumplings or the hot tofu soup with all the extra mixings. Cause I need that sodium replenishment. <laughs> it's a necessity. No, not the water. Give me all of the salt. <laughs> yeah. So life is definitely more attainable now. I've always known this. I've always quit drinking every October since I was 21. For, so 16 years. For 16 years, I've known that my life is much better and I am much more balanced and happy and whole when I don't drink. And I always knew that one day I would quit drinking and just be like, okay, I'm done. So that yeah. day has come. It is here. I don't have a finite timeline in place like I did in June. Now I have, uh, I just quit, you know, I'm over it. I'm done. Life is easier. Life is better. Life is centered. Life is happy. Handling three children and a husband is much easier. <laughs> yeah. 
I've seen, like, when I quit drinking, it was not to quit forever. It was, Mm. like, just to take a break and get a handle on it initially. Mm -hmm. And in, like, going through recovery, I learned that, like, there's not, I'm not ever going to drink normally. When I drink, I'm going to drink like I drink. Mm -hmm. But I didn't listen to that. And I know you've heard a lot of stories about that. Like, you have a lot of addiction, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction in your family. You have a lot of family in recovery, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I know, I don't know their stories, but I know for you, like the bottom didn't, you didn't have to hit a bottom. You just had to hit a point of enough is enough. Yep. And so do you feel, and this is just my words, so please feel free to correct me. Do you feel like you don't need recovery because you didn't reach that bottoming out and so you feel like you still have the ability to quit on your own I feel like I've always known right like I never viewed my alcoholism as something that I need to be trained out of because I I didn't really start getting into excessive drinking until I started bartending when I was 21 right and when I was 21 thank the heavens, I had a regular who quit drinking every September for a month. And he was one of those, like, he would drink a bottle of wine while he was playing pool. And he would then switch to, he'd call them sunny gimlets. And it's pretty much vodka on the rocks with a little bit of roses, lime juice. And he would pound a bunch of those and, you know, leave. But then like he came in and, you know, lo and behold, like I've known this guy because I started working there before I turned 21 as a server. Um, so I've known him for a year plus. And then all of a sudden, you know, like, Oh, I'm not drinking. You're not what? Why? Like, you know, you just gotta kick the tires every now and then and make sure everything still works properly. And I was like, Oh, that's a really great idea. I'm going to do that next month. So October came and I was like, oh, Holy crap. I feel fan freaking tastic. I'm not drinking touchdowns every day when I get off work and staying with my friends until 4am getting loaded, you know? So I think. The reason why I don't need recovery is because in essence, I've had 16 years of the knowledge of what happens while you're in recovery. Because for a month, every year of my life for 16 years, I made a conscious decision to know who I am without booze in my life to recenter myself and be like, Oh, look at that. I can get up in the morning and take care of all my chores and go to the gym and get home and go to work and come home and craft. By the way, every year in October, I would make my own costume because I'd have all this extra time. So it became like my thing. In October, my extra time, I would spend trying to figure out how to sew or hot glue things. And then I learned how to do makeup, like fancy, crazy makeup. But it was it was like a self-discovery, right? Like Every year for a month, it was rediscovering who I am without a mind-altering substance dulling every single day. I don't need somebody to teach me the tools that I need. I know where they are and I know how to find them. I just need to remind myself of what it's like on the other side, you know, like Oh yeah, remember goodbye when you woke up, had to go to the doctor and find out that you have tenosynovitis, you missed work. So it's harder to pay your bills now. Not to mention your whole body is so sore. You're in bed all day. Like that 
fucking sucks. Or I cry for stupid commercials or I have flashbacks of traumatic events in my childhood or whatever. You know, I have all of those tools in my mind. You have to all remind- of all that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, to remind myself of where I can be if I make that choice or where I prefer to be. And I prefer this existence as opposed to the other. As much as I love booze, don't get me wrong. Holy <laughs> shit, I love to drink. I love fucking alcohol. <laughs> I love it. It's great. It's fantastic. Um, I also don't want somebody telling me that if I want to smoke pot, I can't smoke pot. Or if I want to do some mushrooms, I can't do mushrooms. Granted, I don't do any of the other drugs. Never done coke. Don't just feel like have, I have no inclination for any hard drugs. Um, but yeah, every now and then I want to eat some mushrooms and stare at pretty lights and have a nice little body high. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to go off and get wasted and start drinking again. Yeah. Um, granted, I don't really have the inclination to smoke pot at all. But... I mean, I'm in a state where pot's not legal and it looks so different down here. You know, like, <laughs> uh, being up in Washington state where just like you can walk into a Circle K and buy you know, buy a soda or whatever. Like mm-hmm. you can walk into a dispensary and legally buy pot and it's not really a big deal. And here it's like, you have to do it like we did in high school. Like you have to know somebody, you know what I mean? And you got to worry about if you're getting dirt or that. I don't, but I'm a bartender. I kind of wish it was still like that. The whole uh, going in a dispensary thing, it kind of takes like my child or my teenage nostalgia out of it. Like where I'd be like, Ooh, let's get a dub sack. Ooh, I got five on it. Right now you walk in and they're like, would you like oil, flour, <laughs> you know, like edible beverage? I'm like, bro. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's very awesome to have those options or the indicas or the sativas it's too much. I mean, just give me the fucking weed. Let me smoke it. I mean, that's how I was yeah. when I did smoke pot. I was never good at it. Like I just did it. Fortunately, there were periods of time where it would be somewhat regular, but I just, it would mess with me when I drank, which was almost always, and I would get the spins. So I hated that. So mm. It's better for me to just drink, but yeah, it's a, it's a trip. But I definitely get that. Um, I've talked to, like, I've interviewed some people who just smoke pot and don't drink anymore. And they're like, drinking was killing me. Like, pot makes me creative. I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Like, I get it. But for me, I know that I need a program of recovery because I had all that knowledge that you talked about and what Mm -hmm. I consider to be an impeccable willpower. Mm-hmm. And I still drink again eventually, like with all the knowledge in the world about what happens when I drink and how messed up my life gets, I still went back to that place where it sounded like a good idea. So that was really why I asked just out of sheer curiosity. But I do um, I do I have a different story because I diff- definitely hit a different kind of bottom. Like, yeah. was, you know, when I was suicidal, it was like, okay you're suicidal, but you still continue to drink, even though when you drink, you want to die. Yeah. It's a totally different ballgame. I, uh, I grew up with a lot of, um, addicts around me as well. Uh, so I've seen 
what happens with excess. And in my head, I remember I was like, oh, I'm not going to be like that. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Genetics. (laughs) Uh, I also have clay. I mean, my sister's, oh my gosh, she's just like the shining example of how to take your addiction and turn it around and create this beautiful example of how to live your life um, in recovery. You know, she's, she's living her best life and every day she, you know, she does her step work. She does emotional discovery. She, you know, works the program. All of her holidays, for example, are spent with people um, from her program, whether it's 4th of July or Halloween, uh, every New Year's Eve, she goes to this ball, this big dance that they have for people in recovery. I swear to God, the last two times she got COVID from that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she's, she's still, she does all of those things. And to see where she was, you know, 90 pounds soaking wet to where she is today, this Oh my gosh, 10 years sober is this year. Wow. 10 years sober. I'm so proud of her. And her 40th birthday. What, what? Yep, that's right. Getting old, girl. (laughs) I know. I'm so proud of her. And then, like, Christina doesn't drink. My oldest sister that I'm in Alabama for, she doesn't really drink. Sunny doesn't really drink. Kapua was, did her one year sober and she's doing great now in Hawaii. Her parents have leveled out a bit, but, you know, I, you know, surrounded by addiction so i've seen all of those terrible terrible things mind you it's probably the reason why i went to seven different elementary schools before we before second grade and people were like oh it's because your dad was in the marines it's like no it's because my parents are fucking crazy two middle schools oh it's because your dad was in the marines no parents were crazy five fucking high schools because my parents were crazy and not crazy in that like crazy crazy they you know they just had their roller coaster and it took them a little longer to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And even then I feel like most people I've seen the people, you know, I work at a bar, they step in and I'm like, you don't have it figured out yet, but it's all good because we find it in our own time or we don't. And as long as you're happy in the place that you're at or comfortable content, I should say in the place that you're at, then no judgment. Yeah. I just don't want people hurting themselves, but even that isn't my business because maybe they hurt enough to do something about it eventually. Mm. That's my biggest thing as a, as a bartender and being hyper aware all mm. the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, you know, I'm glad people can like drink and be jolly and not have any consequences. And I'm sure there are unseen consequences the next day that I don't know anything about. Right. But Right. You just don't want to help people hurt themselves. Oh, I had that instance. We will not name this person just because I'm calling Bob. <clears throat> so a regular name, Bob, he had been coming in. And I remember the day that he had just gotten released from the hospital. And I had found out whether it was from him or from one of my coworkers that essentially he was dying. He had cirrhosis of the liver, blah, blah, blah. They, they had to drain him. I think like once a week from all of the fluid buildup. And he told me this and I was like, okay, 
So the thing is, I just lost a brother-in-law to this and I can't actively help you harm yourself. And he very clearly said prior to that, when I asked him like, bro, you trying to kill yourself or what? He's like, well, yeah, kind of just matter of fact, like he had accepted his diagnosis and accepted that he was going to die and was fast-tracking the process. I don't know mentally where he was at, if it was from the pain or just the get-it-over-with-like-fuck-it attitude, but I did make that conscious decision to tell him, like, this is what I've experienced, and I personally can't be a part of the path that you're on right now. And he acknowledged that, thanked me for my care and my worry and said that he won't make me a part of that. And there was only one instance following that where he came into the bar, saw that I was working and he was with his wife. They stood there for like 15 minutes and I thought that they had left because I didn't see them, but they tucked themselves off towards the closet, you know, where the bench is. So I couldn't see them. And he sent his wife over to me and said, it was really good to see you had her tell me this. It was really good to see you. And um, we'll see you again later. Sorry, we can't stay. Didn't explain anything further. And they left, which is fine. And actually, it was the day before I left um, on Tuesday, the 7th that he passed away that morning. He's been calling me and I couldn't figure out who it was. Oh, yeah, he passed away um, on Tuesday morning, February 7th at 1.30. Wow. Like I was yeah. listening to your story and I'm like, okay, I know who she's talking about, but I kept getting calls from someone and it didn't sound like his voice uh-huh. it wasn't showing up on my voicemail. And they were like, Hey, this is Bob. Yeah. And, you know, just calling to say hi, but without any context. And I'm like, well, that's really odd. I don't give my number out. But they said, you know, from the bulldog, from the bar that mm-hmm. we worked at. And I didn't. Oh. Robin says hi. Sorry, before I forget. <laughs> okay. But like my brain is really weird, even though I'm sober now, it's mm-hmm. still very like splotchy. And mm-hmm. so it's like I, I'm talking to my husband and like he hung out with him and like played chess with him, you know, late night yeah. at the bar and stuff. And I'm like, I can't think of who this is and I don't have their number saved and I don't give my number out to men, but I had given given him my number and I said, it's it breaks my heart that you come in here and you do this. If you ever decide that you want help, if you want to go to a meeting, call me and I will meet you there and, you know, I'll get you hooked up with people that can help you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that didn't ever happen, but it was just one of those things where it's hard. But I'm proud mm-hmm. of you for drawing that line and put, you know. Oh, yeah. But he did pass. That's- <clears throat> he did. Wow. I know. I'm sorry. Okay. That's, he knew it was going to happen. He did. He was very, very conscious of the decisions he was making. And it was hard to watch because he was very, you know, I, I talked with a woman yesterday who is fighting for her life with mm-hmm. cirrhosis of the liver and she is sober. And, you know, we find out tomorrow if she gets on a transplant list and, you know, she's just holding on for dear life. And to see the other side of that, of the just, the fuck it. Yeah, it's a real thing. 
I fortunately haven't had those personal struggles. Um, I lost a friend, like my, she was my best friend in high school. Like there was my house. It was the first house we had that wasn't a trailer. <laughs> um, in Bullhead City, there was my house and then there was a house behind me, but Caddy Corner on the back, there was like my two best friends, Veronica and Fabby. And Fabby, um, I didn't even think anything of it when she told me she was going to meetings. Like we had a falling out and we reconnected when I was more in my like mid to late twenties and we were hanging out. And then, um, the guy that I dated for a long time was like, I don't like you two together. Like I don't want her in the house. And so I told her that and I kind of cut off communication. And then shortly thereafter, like she, you know, unlifed herself. And Isn't that in your first podcast? I don't know if I talked about Fabby or not. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure, but it's, I mean, if it's not there, it should be because that was like the turning point where I like actively chose to feel different. Like it wasn't just like, Ooh, yeah, we're going to have a couple drinks. It was like, I need to find the guy that has, you know, the drugs because I need to change this feeling. I can't feel this. Hmm. And that was when it became, it started becoming like a daily thing. Um, but once again, I have no idea if I already talked about it. I don't know. Um, I should keep notes or something because it's just all out there. <laughs> so but yeah, that was like, you know, she was struggling. She was struggling with, with cocaine and she was struggling with weed and she was struggling with alcohol and had two little kids and, you know. The babies, that changes it all, man. Yeah. If I could say one thing about those children, I would say that they make me want to be the best version of myself every single day because I hope that I have some influence to help them be the best versions of themselves. I feel like you absolutely do. I try. Man, oh man, to have a six-year-old screaming at you and not raise your voice back to them it's a talent in and of itself and i tell you what i'm going to tell you like i tell everybody else there needs to be a podcast that's called kids are assholes there might be (laughs) in the best way possible right because they are they um they test your limits because they don't know their own they are very literal creatures so sometimes the things they say are hurtful but they don't mean to be because they call it like they see it right they don't have that filter they don't have that sarcastic nature that you develop as you grow older right so like the other day i'm standing in the kitchen and yeah right okay i get it. i put on a little weight it's fine yes <laughs> okay paxton looks at me from the living room he's like mommy you were pregnant i was like yeah, I mean, I might have had a little bit of extra ice cream last night, but it's okay. It's okay. Or like Zoe would be like, why do you always have a double chin? And I'm like, okay, oh. I hear what you're saying. And what you're telling me is I need to focus more on self-love and making sure that I am healthy and taking care of my body as well as my mind. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing instead of saying, those fucking dickheads. <laughs> and that kills <laughs> that is a good opportunity to show them that or teach yourself and show them along the way that you love yourself regardless of how many chins 
You look yeah. all, all the chins. I thought it was a good lesson on how to take constructive criticism. <laughs> I feel like that's being harsh on yourself. And I I just want to add that you could also spin No, that. for them. You know, like people are going to say things that may or may not hurt your feelings. And the way you take it is instead yeah. of getting upset and taking it personally, you say, I see that you would like to share this with me. And I think for myself, I might need to focus on turning a corner in terms of physical health yeah and guess what girl i got a gym membership i got my gym membership back okay it's after that <laughs> i'm like yeah mama's back in the gym i'll do 12 miles on the bike today double chin pregnant my ass <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah like the the ammo to improve oh uh, yeah or just you know always told me in the past you always have your hair in a bun and you never wear makeup I was like, oh, well, I'm comfortable when I'm with you guys. I'm just relaxed. And this is me when I wake up and how I feel my best. But I see what you're saying. I see that I could work on my, you know, physical representation to others and I'll work on it. So I started flat ironing my hair and doing my fancy makeup occasionally, occasionally. You're really good at doing makeup, but I love your fresh face. And I love your hair in a bun. I love it. I love it. Me too. I'm like, this is what happens when your hair is down to your butt crack, okay? This takes a lot longer to get it ready for you than anybody else. Yeah. And now and now she says, Mom, why do you always have to take forever to do your hair? I'm like, because you said. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm trying to be the best representation of myself for everybody else, including you. Mostly my eight-year-old bonus baby yeah <laughs> she's brutal old. though they are they are i dated <laughs> a guy and i was i was like auntie and i was you know i was with them like i babysat the kids pretty often but i was also i had i was having to drink i was in i was in it pretty deep to where people preferred that i had alcohol in me if i was going to pick up the kids because sober me was dangerous you know yeah but I remember like helping one of them with her homework. And I think she was like eight at the time. And she was like, can you talk to me from over there? Your breath really stinks. And I was like, yep, I sure can. <laughs> I feel like that's one of the best things. So there's a stipulation with the kids. We don't drink or weed or nothing whenever we're, I mean, like granted, we don't drink anymore, but uh, having that break was always like, Yes, this is what real life is. This is what it is to be present in the moment, you know, like, because they'll call you out. They'll let you know. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, uh, that that was always like a or that was a stepping stone to where we are today. And I really think that having a partner in it, I mean, for me, having Scott partake in this journey with me is the most important because we definitely feed off of each other um in every way possible and as two people are you know making that life decision it works that way as well whether we're drinking or not drinking you know he's there for all of the <sighs> building blocks that we're creating 
Like, what do we do now? What? Because normally we would be like, oh, we don't have the kids. Let's, you know, go out with friends or let's go have a cocktail. It's not that case anymore. It's like, so what should we do? Yeah, because when just one of you is still in it, then that one still wants to go have the cocktail. And then there's just one person building the future and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. Doing it together is definitely probably my favorite thing. You know, I love that. I love you. I love you, I love you too. I'm so, so proud of you. I will be proud of me in six months. That works too. I, I always tell people because, you know, I'm used to quitting for a month every year. That's not a big deal. And then um, I've quit for seven months before, you know. Um, but people are like, oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm like, be proud of me when I hit this many months. Then be proud of me because me already knows how to just quit drinking. But the longevity, like you were saying before, have re- having recovery, because like having a lifetime solution for how to deal with the stress of life without mind altering substances. That's the tricky part, right? Like that's where I got into meditation <clears throat> and uh, phys- physical exertion works really well for Scott. So he goes to the gym or he, he got a fucking bench, a workout bench, right? Which I'm all for finding different avenues to exert your anxiety and your stress, right? Makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our apartment has three bedrooms, two bathrooms, and a laundry room. And it's a thousand square feet. I was picturing where the bench might be, but. He wanted to just stick it on the deck. I was like, we're not those people. We're not those people that just have our furniture on the deck because our. So put it where the coffee table is. What's the problem? When you're not working out, then you have a coffee table. Uh, Well, so since I haven't been home, it's just smack dab in the middle of the living room. Mm -hmm. That's where it's like we were FaceTiming yesterday and he like propped the phone onto the fireplace mantle and had it facing him as he's working out on the bench in the middle of the living room. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. Well, we don't even work out together when we go to the gym together. Like I do my thing. You do that. You're your thing. I'm not going to stare at you while you're pumping weights in the middle of our tiny ass living room with that fucking bench that you just got. <laughs> I can totally um, picture all of this. I love it. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, but like I said, it's it's just a matter of how you exert your stress. Like, how do you release those things that build up on a daily basis that stress you out enough to want to have a mind altering substance to forget about those things? You know. Yeah. Mine's crafting. Mine's crafting and meditation. Wonderful. I feel like whatever your thing is, you just need to find a thing. I say that about spirituality. I say that about growth. I say that about goals. It doesn't matter what your thing is, but find a thing. Yeah. Like find something to work towards and to pour Mm -hmm. yourself into. And I've got a picture of uh, pre-COVID when I was in the best shape and doing all of my weightlifting and biking and stuff. There's That's one goal. What's my second goal? Getting into a freaking house. What's my third goal? I want to be a homesteader. I downloaded TikTok and I've like gone down the rabbit hole of DIY home projects. And I'm like, I just want to, you know, have my own house and have chickens and pigs and live off of my garden and my animals and all of those things. That is definitely a 
more of a five-year plan. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Just having it, having like that little idea planted can totally grow. That can be the first seed that you nurture. Yeah. Thank you, TikTok. <laughs> your future garden. Yeah, man, use it. <laughs> All right. Well, I love you so much. I'm not going to keep you any longer, but I'm sure this is not the last time that we're going to be having a conversation like this on here. Oh, yeah. Do a six-month check. Yes, you got it. You're It's a deal. Oh, I love your face. I'll talk to you soon. I love you. Isn't she awesome, guys? I just love her. And this show was born out of the incredible conversations that her and I would have. You know, we would we would talk before work. We would talk after work. We would have these conversations that just went really deep. I just looked at, like, why am I having such a hard time with this and how can I do it differently? And, you know, I wanted to share that with people of, like, the solution-based friendship, a solution-based connection. And I've met so many magical, incredible people, and Kavai is one of them. So I really hope you enjoyed that. If you're enjoying the show, please take time to follow subscribe, rate, and review. That helps us be seen and heard in the algorithm. So if somebody types in the Sober Bartender podcast, they can actually find me as opposed to, you know, searching through all the other podcasts with similar names. If you're struggling, please know you're going to get through this. It's not always going to be like this. There is another side of life where... You're excited to wake up in the morning and you're excited to go and be in the world. You matter. I'm really glad that you're alive. I'm really glad you're here. Please just keep going. Keep shining your lights, friend. And I will talk to you next week.